What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Plain Sight Podcast. My name is Alex Sons. I'm here with some of my best buds, Cam Jordan. Cam, what's up? Hello. And Zachary Kuyad. Zach, what it is? What it do? What it do, baby? What it do, do, baby? (laughs) Oh, yes, I love that. Um, And this is the Plain Sight Podcast, where our whole goal is to take the normal, everyday things and figure out how we can take the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the books we read, and all things pop culture and how we can relate those things to our relationship with Christ. We understand that 99% of these things are not inherently Christian, but we also know that if God is sovereign, that he's over all of it and he's everywhere. Um, I'm not sure that point necessarily applies today. I think what we're talking about today is inherently Christian. Well... (laughs) We're talking about something that we love very much. And we talked about, you know, we're doing Marvel movies and we want to do music. So what's music going to be? And we kind of stumbled, should we do it? Um, It was the obvious first choice, but should we do something else not to be too predictable? But here's the thing. We're in our element today and we're going to have one of the greatest times of our lives. And we're we're really going to try and keep this at a good time. (laughs) But keep in mind that... This is what we will spend hours talking about on our this own. This is funny we because have today. we're saying this now, but the people listening to this can already look at the timestamp and see that it's seven and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, his albums aren't even that long. <laughs> As you've read in the title today, we're talking about John Mayer's third studio album, Continuum. If you guys need to know anything about us, we are massive John Mayer fanboys. I've said from a very young age that he is my man crush, always has been. Um, <laughs> always will be. And his third album, Continuum, is regarded by most people as probably his best album. Um, it was in Do 2006. I would agree. I think it's his best album. I have more to say about that later. But <laughs> it was released in 2006. It was his third studio album. One of the big things about Continuum is it really started to showcase who John Mayer was as a guitar player. His first two albums, Room for Squares and Heavier Things, were very pop-rocky. He was trying to get on the radio, and he had had himself established. He just got off a big tour with the John Mayer Trio, his blues rock band, and he decided that he really wanted to open up space for him to bring in the rhythm and blues and the soul and the blues rock guitar playing that he grew up loving, which is the reason he fell in love with music. And it really opened up who John Mayer is in a way that we hadn't seen before. The reason he named it Continuum, it's one of the big themes that we're going to tackle as we dive into these songs of these next couple podcasts, is from a quote on an issue of Esquire in 2005, a year before it was released. He said, I'm obsessed with time lately, constantly crunching the numbers to get some sense of where I stand in the continuum. Um, It's a huge topic of him in time and how time is fleeting and what it's like to be young and not have time on your hands. And the entire album is about that. So guys, I'm just going to start asking you guys some quick questions. Um, We're just going to shoot. And because I know this is a huge album for all three of us, our journey with music. And we're just going to gush about it a little bit. (laughs) So first, let's please do my first question. The first time you heard this, what was your favorite song on the record? That's such a tough question because I was I just pulled it up just to look at it again and I think at a different point I have individually put every song on this album into like my good music playlist just my big one on Spotify. Exactly. Yeah. So it's so tough 
to pick a favorite. I think when I was first listening to it, uh, maybe I was being like angsty and in and the teenager. But when I first listened to it, "Dream with a Broken Heart" really got to me. Oh yeah, it does. That song was really good. Now I think as I get, as I've you know matured a little bit and I'm thinking harder, um, I think it stopped this train. Stop this train That's really fantastic. does something to me. Good. Just um, all that talk about like talking with his dad in the bridge and just what it's like to watch your parents get old. Who that really did something to me. Am I am and, I thinking the wrong one? Was that written in KC? Wasn't Stop This Train written in KC? It could be. I'm not sure. I know the I music video the for Your Body is a Wonderland was written in KC. Sorry, Jesus. Because well, he, he talked about how he wrote <laughs> Stop this train in KC, but then he also wrote In Your Atmosphere on his way to LA after a show in KC. That He's written a few songs yeah. there. Um, it's a good spot for music. Hashtag iHeartKC. So Zach answered both my first two questions because he's just a smart, smart boy. <laughs> I just um, sensed it. So Cam, what is when you first listened to this, what was the song that – you first fell in love with, and then right now, what's the song? What's your go-to on this record? Are they that, the same? My well, so my my all-time favorite on this album is is my all-time favorite John Mayer and just all-time favorite song, which is "Slow Dancing in a Burning Room." Oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah, and and so I, I feel like that's almost like a cheat answer. Like I need to go with what is what is my second favorite <laughs> because yeah. just nothing quite comes to that level. Um. Man, I, I've always been a big fan of Belief. I've, I've liked Belief from the jump. And I, I think lyrically it's, it's, it might be his best work. I think it's, it's really, really good stuff. Um, but right now, um, I love um, I'm Gonna Find Another You. That's hmm. been my obsession lately. Partly from the live version and then going on to kind of the studio version. But... Yeah, it's it's as good as it gets. Are you okay? <laughs> oh, I'm great. I've never been better. <laughs> I just needed to check. So for me personally, <laughs> as a guitar player, when I first found John Mayer, I was just learning how to play guitar. He's like one of the massive reasons that I fell in love with the guitar. And the first song uh, was Vultures, actually. I yeah. listened that's to it. That's such a cool bluesy was, thing that's going on there. And I was like, if I can play that, I'm a good guitarist. And I wanted so hard to learn how to play Vultures. And now I think my favorite song on it is definitely, uh, it's definitely in repair. Mm. Um, It started off as one of those songs that we all have one of these where you would click through it when you listen to the record and you never really gave it a shot. And then I just sat down and I really soaked it all in. Um, when we do the end repair pod, we're going to dive a little deeper into why I decided to do that. Um, but it's just gorgeous. I think it's probably his most, uh, underappreciated song it's a good um, because it's fantastic. Um, would you guys, either of you, um, we talked about your favorite song right now. Was there a song like that for you on this album where at first you were like, eh, and it's really grown on you? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, that no doubt was, uh, bold as love. Um, first time I listened to it, I wasn't super into it. I, it gave me kind of cheesy vibes, you know, he's... Because it's an old Jimi Hendrix cheesy song. Right. 
But the thing that he does with it works so well. And yeah. I was like, kind of not digging the whole, like, he's doing a cover here, whatever. But the more I'm listening to it, the more I'm realizing that, like, he is doing something so specific that's his own thing on there and, and really digging deep into that, like, that bluesy thing that he's got and, and just the whole impetus of what John Mayer is and, like, attributing it to that song. And it works so well the more I listen to it. And obviously he didn't do all the writing on it, but lyrically it's so good. It's top notch. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. I remember actually we talk about, and I've had, John Mayer has been the lead in to me for so many of the classic great uh, musicians, as I'm right. sure he has for some of you guys too, but mm-hmm. especially as a guitar player. Um, when I first listened to Bold as Love, I did not know it was a Jimi Hendrix song. I was like 11, 12, okay, don't scream at me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is awesome. This guitar solo is ridiculous and yeah. is one of the most beautifully crafted guitar solos I've ever heard. Um, that's because Jimi Hendrix wrote it. And <laughs> then I had known who Jimi Hendrix was, but when I dove into that and I got this really firsthand, like, if John Mayer likes him, I should too. Yeah. And it was just... Uh, an introduction uh, to a whole new world of music and glad like not a, drugs. Like, but... a, like a Jimi <laughs> Hendrix is your favorite musician's favorite musician. Yeah, in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's how like John Mayer is now. A lot of times your favorite musician's favorite musician is quite possibly John Mayer. Oh, in you, a lot of You talk of to cases. a lot of guys like like that are, that are getting big. Laney, Shawn Mendes. Shawn Mendes. Uh, Ed Sheeran, like they all say that like their musical inspiration is is Mayer. Yeah. He's he's doing stuff with a guitar right now that the rest of like what's popular isn't doing. You know, the, sure. the it's power chords and the simple one five four one is what most of music is doing right now. Um and, and that's pop music is kind of always going to cater to the lowest common denominator in general just because yeah. that's how it becomes popular. But his stuff manages to a lot of times become really popular while also avoiding doing some of that stuff and finding some more complexity in what music can be. Um, and Having his, a wealth of depth. Right. Some of his most, like, Neon yeah. is a pretty popular song of off of his, like, back catalog, but it's also commonly called one of the hardest songs to play on guitar. I won't even touch it. I'll, I won't even try I my one year into guitar playing self can't even sniff what it would take to play neon. <laughs> I can't right. even think about what it would take to play neon. Yeah. Cam, I'm going to throw this to you first. Another question. And if the answer to this is crying in your bedroom, think of memory number two. When you <laughs> think of continuum, what is the first memory that pops into your head? Um, Okay. Also, so, you can go to answer like three or four if the top few are all crying in your bedroom. As they um, probably should be. <laughs> some, some of them are. Um, so a lot of Continuum is also on the, you know, where the light is. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, there are two very connected albums for me. Um, and, and I remember my brother getting the Where the Light Is um, like video as a kid. He got that and he got the Jeremy Camp live video. Um, at the same I hope you gravitated to one. Nice. Uh, listen, I don't remember that part. Um, but I I remember watching that with him and just being kind of blown away by John Mayer's 
presence and then going back and listening to some of his stuff and, and really kind of falling in love with it. Um, so, so for me, those two kind of come hand in hand, um, as well as just a lot of the people that I've looked up to have been big mayor fans. And I remember, um, Zach, you know, when we were on mission trips, that was always what I would play over the radio whenever we were just hanging out in the, the room yeah. and, and just sitting there with, with Chad and, and with Tyler and with, with this big group and just listening. Like no one needed to say a word. Yep. We just sat there and, and listened. Just and, you know, we it turned in. it down when Slow Dancing in a Burning Room came on on one specific word. When he says the naughty Other word. Other than that. He says the naughty just, word. <laughs> it was just, it was smooth. It was good, man. Zach, what, are you, what about you? Um, for me, Continuum, although clearly it's much older than this, it is so inherently connected to the summer of 2016 um, summer of 2016 was when we graduated, um, and Alex, you and I had the pleasure of singing Waiting on the World to Change at graduation, at high school graduation. It was awful. It was horrible. We were outside, <laughs> it was raining, there was a second and a half delay on the sound system, so nobody could actually keep in time with themselves, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, but despite the mess that graduation was that year... We had a great time. Just, it was awesome. Just screaming out some John Mayer, having fun. And then <laughs> that summer, I went on a cruise with some family. Um, and I'm not cruise people. It's not really my thing. Yeah. Because cruise people requires, like, I want to have a mimosa at breakfast, and I want to have a drink in my hand until 1030. That's and not that's you? My, and that's just not me. I don't have that in me. <laughs> and you're just confined in a boat with strangers all the time and i just don't have that confined in a boat with strangers for a week gene so did me. you just listen to continuum the entire time well one thing i was forced to do to socially interact because alex i'm sure you understand when you're a musician in the family is when there's karaoke somewhere mm. every aunt you've ever had wants you to sing karaoke I emphatically always deny karaoke. I don't know if I've ever actually sang karaoke. I detest karaoke. Oh my I gosh. I mean, I do too, but for very different reasons. <laughs> Mine's not because I'm asked to. My, I'm asked not to. The point of karaoke <laughs> is not for singers to actually sing. Right. And so when they ask someone that is a singer to actually sing a karaoke, it's just really cheesy right. and really dumb. Right, because somebody who's a singer is going to go up there and try to sing the song, but karaoke is for drunk people to listen to other drunk people sing. Exactly. It's not for people who are singers to try to go impress. So for four days of this cruise, I found other places to be when karaoke was happening. I made myself scarce. But on the final day of the cruise, I happened to walk by the wrong room at the wrong time. And it was ants going, we're going to karaoke. Come on, you're going to sing tonight. And I was like, I don't have any excuse of anywhere else to be. So I got to the room where they were doing karaoke. And I said, tell you what, I will sing tonight if they have Waiting on the World to Change in the book. Yes. And they did. And I sang Waiting on the World to Change. And it was the only saving grace of that night of karaoke was that I got to sing a John Mayer song. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so to get a little deeper and... I want to say this first. There is any of the claims we make over the how many podcasts we're going to do on Continuum. Um, John Mayer has never said anything about being a Christian. 
Um, right. <laughs> never once really even talked about his spirituality. But what we're so what we're in some ways he's never made a deep no, dive. I I I I agree, and I'm completely in agreement. Although what I will say, and I know we will dive into this, is that in his lyrics and in what he says, there's a very clear longing for what Jesus provides. Exactly. Yeah. I think he is searching for what we all are. He just doesn't know that what he's looking for is Jesus. That's fantastic. That's good like point. when you talk about something's missing, which is not on this album, we'll eventually do every album. We'll get um, through. <laughs> that's just a given. Um, but so, but we are saying that we can take music and art and we can find a way to just pull God right out of it because we believe that he is in beautiful things because he is the creator of beautiful things. Hmm. Um, so one fun fact about John Mayer was listening to a little interview he did. And right after this in 2007, and he talked about writing this record and the writing process for him. And he said that he wrote it in little groups. So he would write three songs at a time. He would write, record those, go home, hang out, not play music. Um, and that way he never got stuck in the same thing where 12 songs sound the same. That's a really, for me, I've actually found is extremely um, important that I step away from playing the guitar so that I don't play the same five licks all the time. Anytime there's any open space in a song that I can change my taste so that I can change what I go to, change the way I feel so that I don't get stuck in the same rut creative, creatively. Um, and so there's really three main themes here. And we're going to deep dive in just a little bit. So the first theme, we will really dive deep on the song, so we're not going to go crazy here. The first theme is about being young and what it's like to be a world changer or lack thereof as a young person. And to feel powerless. What do you guys have? I think we see a lot on, on this album of, of what, what's almost like a like an anti-war mindset. Like an old yeah. like Bob Dylan mentality of like, we're never going to stop the war. Yeah. And, and in an interview, he talked about how he some people connected waiting on the world to change to almost this like hopelessness of like, we're never going to do it. So like, stop trying. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. He said, but if you were to come to me and say, we have to do this, everything is relying on you to, to, you know, stop the war. Like he said, if, if the lyrics were, we have to stop the war, then I'm going to say, no, you can't tell me what to do because you're older, because you have more experience, whatever it needed to be we're never going to do this until we decide to. And so waiting on the world to change goes into belief. And it's this idea of the only way you can change a belief is internally. That's true. And sometimes we, we do these big combats and we're, we're really trying to change people's perspectives. But the only way that's going to change is if it's internal. And I think that speaks to, to what Jesus can do. The only way somebody is going to change their mindset, their perspective on something biblical is, is if they're motivated by the Holy Spirit. You can fight with people in the church day and night, but they're not going to change until they want to. Yelling at people isn't going to get the job done. And, and he even says, he says, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And that's what motivated those, those connections of songs was this idea of let's love each other into a point of making a difference instead of just fighting each other until we get there. Yeah, that's huge. And I mean, 
for me personally, and we're it's kind of going to move into where I'm going to go with this next thing, but um, a lot of times I really struggle with um, social media and doing things like this. It takes a lot for me to kind of stand up and put my voice out there because there's this thought that, you know, Alex, nobody really cares what you have to say. Like, Alex, stop being so egotistical that you think people really want to hear what you have to say. Like, you're the right. only person that has a say in this. Um, and there's a lot that really holds me back here. Um, but, like, with another really big theme of this of uh, this album, the three big themes that I pull from it is, one, like we talked about with time, that time is always fleeting. Um, one of the biggest songs in this album is called Stop This Train, as Zach talked about. And it was just about stopping time. And the really cool thing I learned kind of looking this stuff up was he wrote it. Um, during what he calls, quote, solitary refinement. Um, he had double kidney stones and he was bedridden, but he was living in a hotel because he was in the middle of moving between two places. Cool. So he's sitting here bedridden in a hotel with kidney stones and he can't even be in his own home because he doesn't have one, right? And this is like a very rich millionaire, guitar playing, good looking, songwriting man. And he's stuck... And he's just really sitting here having to think really hard about the fact that time is moving. And so for us, for me, a real big thing here is that time is constantly moving forward. Um, and if God has given us a, a directive, a mission, um, it's our job to put ourselves behind it and say, look, God, if you're, if you're doing this, if you're telling me this is what I have to do, um, then it's time for me to make that move. Zach, you talked a little bit about Stop This Train and uh, how it um, really resonates with you. Uh, do you want to talk just a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think there, there's something in that song, just that opening lyric uh, where he says, I'm not colorblind, I know the world is black and white. Yeah. You know, just, just this opening on something that is so clearly about confusion and, and this misunderstanding of, well, maybe is it me that's wrong or is it the world that's wrong or what is it? And and really not being able to identify something that's like what the real truth is, you know? Because um, looking around, you can clearly see that not only is the world literally not black and white, but there's in, in morality, there's so much gray area. And I think both of those are what he's getting at. Of course. And he's what he's saying is he he doesn't, see it sometimes the way that everybody else sees these things but there it's so hard to identify you know what it is that you're seeing correctly versus incorrectly or what everyone else is seeing that differently than you that doesn't make sense and you can't necessarily reconcile between the two of them um, and I think so much of this album is about like the difference between the way that he and what he perceives as his generation his group sees the rest of the world as compared to what other generations and what other kinds of people see the world as that so much of like waiting on the world to change that was it kind of became the like big pop hit of the album it became the one that yeah. got the radio time but it is i mean it's objectively this like revolutionary rallying cry behind like it i think it comes that first opening lyric is a little bit like nobody gets me and so i think it it kind of tampers with the way that people hear the rest of the song that me and all my friends were all misunderstood. And I think sometimes when people hear that, they see it as like 
a little bit whiny or self-serving, like nobody gets me kind of thing. But Like an angsty middle schooler. Right, it feels very angsty, but the Mom! more you get into it, the, that second verse is, if we had the power to bring our neighbors home from war, they'd never miss Christmas. Like, it's clearly somebody who is striving so hard to to understand why the world is the way that it is and understand why he doesn't have the power he wishes he has and why the good things aren't happening seemingly but doesn't have a way to reconcile that yet and when you're when you can't decide whether you're colorblind or if the world actually is black and white it's all speaking to the same thing of just not being able to understand why why things happen the way they do yeah um just a really quick uh, story, and I won't try and get too deep or too emotional here. Um, but right now, and we hope these are things that uh, people can listen to for months in advance, um, and they aren't specific to a time. But right now, the reason we started to do this is everybody's stuck at their house, and we're in the middle, probably not the worst of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And there was this awful moment with me today where my parents have just been out of town so they're not supposed to be in contact with anyone and I haven't seen my mom in like three four weeks and she comes over and she drops food off at the house and I open the door and I'm like basically almost yelling just talking to my mom and it was this awful weird experience that my mom is right there I haven't seen her in like a month and I can't go hug my mother yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like tearing up and I had to be like, okay, bye. So I could close the door and not be seen so like vulnerable. And there's this huge theme here of, man, don't take your parents for granted. Don't take what you love for granted because in a second it can be gone. Um, and the, the contact that we can have with each other and the relationships we can have, those can be torn away from you at just a moment's notice. Um, and moments like this and times like these really put that into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if you look at John Mayer's life in the spotlight, it's really interesting. And I think continuum is the turning point of, of his life. I think when it was written was almost, it's almost a stage of like regret. And I, I think if you, if you look at John's life, he's oftentimes kind of in this place of being lost, kind of being in between what is the norm and what is trendy, right? Mm. So he's talked about how he doesn't fit a genre. I mean, if you listen to a different album, you're going to get a different genre. And, and, and so I think if you, if you look at the way he kind of develops, you know, he starts off, he tries to go to college, doesn't work. He figures out, that's not for me. He moves to Atlanta with um, who the guy who is now a guitar player for Zach Brown Band, and they try and start a band together, fails because they're both a little little too big headed, and so then you know he he releases Your Body Is a Wonderland, and and that just blows up, and at 23 he wins a Grammy, and he just keeps on rising and and is, you know, this womanizer and and this egotistical kid and. When, when Continuum comes out, it's this idea of, I'm so tired of being lost. And I think that describes where we're at today. We're yeah. all lost. Nobody knows what this looks like. John Mayer, when, when this album came out, 2006, how old was he? Uh, 
Probably upper upper twenties. At this point, something like that. He's never been in this place before of, of fame, and he doesn't know how to respond. Just like we right now are in this place of how do I respond when I can't go talk to my mom? Yeah. Or or when when you know the three of us alone, Zach, we both lost to graduation to this. Yeah. Alex, you're trying to get married in the middle of this. Like, mm-hmm. we're all kind of lost. How do we respond? I got laid off because of this. Like, it's this weird situation. And that's where John was when he wrote this. You know, and then he goes on after this album to kind of isolate himself a little bit later on because he said he was, he was, in, he was addicted to his ego. So he isolates himself and then starts producing what he really wants to. And now is, is putting out incredible music still but but is is seen as this inspiration for a lot of younger artists because of this route that he took and so i think if we are to look at at john's life and where he was when continuum happened and some of the themes it's this idea of i'm lost and i think that describes where we're all at right now of what does tomorrow look like i wish i could stop things and catch my breath for a minute but tomorrow we're going to hear more news articles about the coronavirus. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and it's only going to get worse. Well, and, and when that ends, it's going to lead the news cycle straight into something new that is the next big tragedy and the next big scare. And whenever that ends, it's going to lead us right into the next thing because that's just, that's inherently how the world works, you know? We, right. News is, de- is designed to generate attention, and the easiest way to do that is for it to be scary. And that's how the world is, is that things are constantly piling up that are outside of our control. And I think anything that is outside of what we can control is going to cause fear. That's part of, I think it's one of the biggest fears in the world is not having control of a situation. And because that is the situation, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, Um, if you would have told me a month ago that Kobe dying wasn't going to be the biggest news story this year, I would have called you crazy. Yeah. But I think that's where John's coming from, where he's like, stop. Like, I want to get off. I want to go home. Like, yeah. I'm tired of this, this cycle, this continuation of, man, what is going to happen tomorrow that's just worse than today? This is wackadoodle daisy, guys. Wackadoodle daisy, indeed. So <laughs> we're going to dive in a lot more on that because, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to have a Stop This Train pod. But um, – the last real segment, and we won't spend as much time on this because Zach has a really cool game in our favorite <laughs> segment, uh, Laffery with Zachary. And oh, I cringe every time. I, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a little longer than usual. So we really want to soak that up. Um, the last real point that he makes, and the three big points, is uh, a really basic, common one that we find in albums. And he probably went through a pretty icky breakup, and he's dealing with heartbreak. <laughs> Maybe more than one. Probably a couple. <laughs> He's dealing with heartbreak through this. He writes beautiful songs like Dreaming with a Broken Heart and extremely introspective songs like Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. And what is it like when you know you're in a bad relationship and you need to get out of it, but you don't know how? Do you hold on for dear life because as humans, we always want to fix it or do you let it go? And so he writes a ton about that. And we're going to really dive into that later. I know Cam is super excited to talk relationships and breakup advice. Um, it's his favorite thing to do. Uh, <laughs> but with that being said, we're taking it to our favorite place. America's favorite 
a favorite place to be right now in these trying times. Say it to that us. is welcome to the silly zone. Welcome to John Mayer's zone. home with his dog. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. The silly zone. Yeah, that's where we're going. Um, oh, so in the silly zone, we've got two great segments right now. And our first one is our hot take segment. But since we're uh, not uh, copycats, we're calling it That's a Stretch where we make kind of bold proclamations, sometimes a little too deep, to where we get so deep that you're sitting there laughing at us because of how uh, cheesy we've gotten, or we say just really weird, silly things. And then, like we just mentioned, America's favorite segment, favorite <laughs> podcast game time game show, Laffery. Laffery you with, with Zachary. Zachary. Oh, no, there's both of you doing <laughs> it. I really tried to tie that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's both of me now. I'm sure I did it was actually awful. just get off the phone with America, and America did say it was their favorite segment, so that checks out. Again, who is All America? because of your shining face. Is that our face. other follower? Besides my face on this Alex's audio medium. Fiance? We have my fiance, your niece, and America. I probably got a couple right. friends. Kennedy does love Laffery with Zachary. I, you know, Wait, and that's my Kennedy target demographic have, is have is toddlers. <laughs> Toddlers love John Mayer. So I'm going to come in pretty hot. Uh, look, I'm a John Mayer fanboy. Can I Mayer drop fan a one-sentence one real quick? Yes, go, please. Uh, John Mayer moving to Montana was the beginning of social distancing. That's all I had. Back to you. Wow, <laughs> I like that. Um, <laughs> if I was to be put on an island, and I like a lot of times we like to talk, talk like, what are your top five albums? What's this? What's that? Um, and I've got two things that are kind of, circulating that but what we're really saying is if you were uh deserted on an island you can only have five albums for the rest of your life to listen to it's all Um, john mayer all five of them um john mayer (laughs) would probably have two of them but my hot take is one that continuum is one of the five greatest albums of all time um not to discredit but for me the way it was so life-changing for the way i saw music um and the way i saw songwriting it was just completely altering in my journey as a musician and as a person. So in this, in this, where are you considering where the light is to be? Like, is that it's not a studio album? album? So I keep it out. Okay. So you just live albums are albums. separate. That's a good call. Okay. Because if that were the case, I would, I would contest that and say that where the light is, is above, but in a situation where we're just talking studio. Yeah, I agree. My other hot take is right now, if, if I did have to be stranded and I had to pick a John Mayer album, although I think Continuum is a better album, at this moment in my life, I would probably pick Born and Raised. Me too. I, I love Born I and love Raised. I love Born and Raised. I think I would take, can hate all they want. I think I would take Born and Raised all the time, though. I think it's my favorite of his albums. Johnny Depp John Mayer is just one of the most beautiful John Mayers. <laughs> well, and I feel like part of why we love Born and Raised so much is because everybody else hates it. Yeah, they're all we, like, we just oh, want to be cool. Worst. That and Paradise Valley are his worst, which I don't disagree about Paradise Valley. Yeah, yeah Paradise Valley is not the greatest. Even Dear though Marie's we love really it. good, though. We love it. So is Dear Marie. When I say worst, John Mayer, that is still better than every other album ever. Like, uh, <laughs> thank you. What do you mean? But yeah, I feel like that. Just like mutual, we all cling to the fact that we love that album so much that we're like, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for everybody, but it's for us. Yeah. Cam, you got a hot take? I have a hot take. Or a stretch, I apologize. I have a stretch. Um, Everybody, lean to the right. Um, It's a lunge. (laughs) Yes. No, I'm very anti-lunge. 
I think mine's a little more serious, but it's that I think what John struggles with as as a recovered ego addict, as he calls it, um, is is one of the biggest problems plaguing the church that we don't really want to talk about. You better preach, Cameron. John struggles with pride. He has his whole career. He's talked about it. Other people have talked about it for him. Um, it's a serious issue, and it's led to him being a womanizer. It's led to him having lustful issues and, and him being seen negative in the media. I think church leaders have a similar struggle. I think oftentimes we put a lot of pressure on church leaders, um, and, and we don't talk about the mental issues that they go through. John quotes and says that um, he has a thinking man's, or he had a thinking man's fiasco. He's unbelievably intellectual. If you watch his interviews, he's so smart. Um, but he said he had an intellectual high-speed crash. And I think we don't talk about some of the issues that face our church members that we can't see. We're really quick to talk about drinking, smoking, cussing, and sex. But we're not super quick to talk about pride and arrogance and these things that aren't as visible, but sometimes lead the way to some of those other things. And so I think think this issue of pride is something a lot of our church leaders need to look at. And they need to look at how John responded. You know, now he, you know, when he goes to the Grammys, he doesn't stay because he says if he stays, everybody's going to want to talk to him and everybody's going to want to see him and he's going to look at Twitter and, and, and he's not going to like who he sees. He says the more he looks at Twitter, the more he hates who he sees in the mirror. And, and he doesn't want to live like that anymore, which is why he kind of isolated himself. So I think his reaction is something that we need to all look at. Um, but I think his struggle, his his vase, whatever it is, is or his vice is that he... His vase, that's where he keeps his flowers. Yeah, he keeps his flowers in his ego. But I think <laughs> um, his vice is is his ego, is thinking about himself and how he can be better um, and, and how he is better than everybody else. And I think a lot of pastors struggle with that. Yeah. So are you saying, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, oh boy, that pride... Is a gateway drug? That actually is a quote that I almost brought out. Yes. I was really close. <laughs> At one point when I said it leads to the other things, I was almost like, it's like a gateway drug. Yes. <laughs> pride. Pride. And that's not like me saying that. Like that's biblical. Like the proud man is the first to fall. Like that is not. Before the like, fall, yeah. Right. Like that's not, that's not news. I'm not saying anything that like God has not said. Um, in this scenario. So I'm quoting someone much smarter than me. God. That's, yeah, usually is much smarter than us. Um, always. always. Now, yeah, always. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry. This is the time I've apologized today. <laughs> so now's the time for America's favorite segment. I get to say it four times, and I'm probably going to say it again. Here we go with your favorite podcast game show host. This is Laffery. Leopardy with Zachary. Oh, that was not together, and it made it infinitely worse. <laughs> it was together on mine. <laughs> it was not on this end of the Skype call. <laughs> so today, we've got a we've got a, a new format for the games. Um, a lot of what we've done so far, what the three of us have recorded, has been uh, yes or no, you can get the point or you can't get the point, right? Yeah. Today, what we have... And we've we've already all openly admitted that John Mayer has a a, a history with romance. And I think that's fair oh. to say. 
I'm so excited. He does. It's it's reasonable to say that uh, he he, he has a, a public history with with women. I think that's reasonable. So today, what we have is the John Mayer romance extravaganza. This is a three round game in which points are cumulative. So whoever has the most points at the end of the game is our winner. So I'll explain the rounds as we get to them. Round one, I call this the real facts. These are things that quantifiably John has admitted that he wrote a song about a person. In, in okay. the research that I could find, this is John has said, I wrote this oh. song about this person. I have, a, I have four questions here. I'm going to throw the song title to one of you. If that person gets it, they get a point. The other person, if they don't get it, has a chance to steal. That's round one. We'll get to round two when we get there. Okay, round one, real facts. Uh, this time, I believe we go to Cam first. Cam. So I'm just answering like, yes, this is about a person? No, or no, no. To say These are all about? about a person. You have to tell me what romantic relationship this song is about. Oh, my gosh. This, this is, is going to be hard. Uh, I literally had this idea the all, other day all that of... this would be a great game, and I <laughs> was not prepared. You could have done your research, man, but he, I'm glad you didn't because it, it's more fun that way. I watched three baseball games today instead. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Opening day at home. Thank you, MLB, for trying. All right, round one, the real facts. Question one. Cam, who's Paper Doll about? Oh, this is so easy, Cameron. Paper Doll. Cam, are you kidding me? You're like 22 girls in one, and none of them know what they're running from. Don't give him him clues. All I'm saying is the lyrics to the song. Taylor Swift. That is correct. Paper Doll is, in fact, about Taylor Swift. Good, good pull out of nowhere. Um, My favorite non-hip-hop diss track. <laughs> Arguably okay, not the most infamous Mayor X. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was kind of... That's been one of the most public and famous breakups of his. Written Someone's in Gonna Paint to, You Another Sky is uh, one of the best mic drops. Of- oh, it's so good. And written in response to Dear John. Exactly. That he was already upset did. about because they agreed to not write songs about each other and then she did anyway. Well, she still denies that that song's about him. Come on. Is she, it's called Dear, Dear John. John. And I know that Dear well, John is a thing, but everyone knows that it's about him. And anyway, <laughs> getting out of the argument and getting back into the game. Alex, I'm lobbing you a softball here. And I'll admit that it is because I thought the first two were both pretty easy. Alex, who still feel like your man about? Katy Perry. That is correct. Still feel I'm team like Katy Perry. Man. Just let it be known. Can I can I throw in a, a random one? Yeah, well, uh, you can. It won't be for any points. What other song that the three of us listen to quite a bit? Do I have a theory? Is written about Katy Perry? Another John Mayer song? No. Nope. Sadie Hawkins dance. Reliant. Sadie K. Oh yes, 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 yes. The we've lead talked about this from before. Reliant K dated Katy Perry in high school, and so I'm not saying I have any reason to believe it, other than the <laughs> fact that it could be true. <laughs> I love that. Anyway. It's possible, so that's the theory. I love that for you. Okay, Cam, back to you. This is real facts. This is your final question of the real facts round. Cam, who's Shadow Days about? Cameron Diaz. That is incorrect. Alex, for the steal, who's Shadow Days about? Is that one also about Katy Perry? 
It is not about Katy Perry. Dang Shadow it. Days is actually about Jennifer Aniston. Really? So no points awarded that round. Heartbreak Warfare, sure, specifically not about Jennifer Aniston. Song. I know, I just, I'm having a hard time with my timeline, because I know Katy Perry and him were together, then they broke up, and they got back together. Yeah. Jennifer and then Aniston he proposed, and she said that. no. Then they broke up. She was yeah. pre-all that, yes. Yep, because that's, uh, that's from an older album. Okay, Alex, for the final question of the Real Facts round. It's a classic. Who is your body is a wonderland about? Oof. Uh, I, oh, man. I, <laughs> I don't know if I could even try. I know who I want it to be about. Because I think all the, all the relationships that I'm very aware of were post your body is a wonderland. Mm. That was hard because he was like 22, 21. Yeah. This is Jennifer a- Love Hewitt. That is correct. Your Body is a Wonderland is, in fact, about Jennifer Love Hewitt. Dang it, that's what I was going to go that's One good. of the several Jennifers this man dated. <laughs> he has dated a yeah. lot of Jennifers. You know, he specifically did an Andy Cohen interview not too long ago where he talked about Jennifer Lawrence, too. Really? Oh, yeah. Nice. He said she didn't want to have anything to do with him, though, so. <laughs> Probably for good reason. Yeah, okay, well, that's the end of the Real Facts round. We're now moving into round two. The points are doubled, so each question here is worth two points. No. Alex, you're currently leading by a score of two to one. Round two is called Open Forum Debate. (laughs) In round two, I'm going to give you the title of a song, and you each have 30 seconds to convince me who you think it's written about. We're going to continue the back and forth. So, Cam, on this first one, you're going to get your 30 seconds first, and then we'll go 30 seconds to Alex, and then I will decide who gets two points for this round. (laughs) So, Cam, we start with you. Who's Heartbreak Warfare about? I think Heartbreak Warfare is about Taylor Swift because it is not necessarily about the heartbreak itself, but the warfare that followed. We've already talked about the fighting between Dear John and Paper Doll. And so I think it's about the warfare that follows the heartbreak and less about the the warfare that led to the heartbreak. Mm, Okay. There's some good points in there, Alex. I'll give you 45 seconds to make your point and a slight rebuttal. Man, um, I think Taylor Swift is right. We don't know when he wrote Heartbreak. I don't think Taylor Swift is right. I'm sorry. That was wrong. It was wrong. Um, <laughs> you already lost. No, you what I would say is we don't know when he wrote it. He dated Taylor Swift up almost until this was released. Uh, so what I'm going to do is just by the taste in his mouth of a recent relationship, uh, he had a lot of – real back and forth with Jennifer Aniston actually being in the news with Jennifer Aniston again or uh, pretty recently um they dated from 08 to 09 or after continuum is all I know and so I would say Jennifer Aniston just based on the fact that most of the time when you write about a breakup you're going to write about the most recent one and she's very famous and it was probably and it was a very big breakup these are both excellent points heartbreak warfare points are going to cam Because John Mayer specifically said that Heartbreak Warfare was not about Jennifer Aniston. So that's uh, that is going to make it tough. I am also of the opinion that it's probably about Taylor Swift, though I will say. But I don't. I didn't have to worry about that bias because you picked the only wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) But Alex, you get the chance to go first this time. Back and forth and saying we're going through this ish again. Was a really good, really good usage. Yeah. I liked it. Alex, you get, you get the Thank chance you. to go first this time. Cool. Who do you think Never on the Day You Leave is about? Oh, 
<laughs> My gosh. It, it has to be Katy Perry. And there's absolutely no other option that she broke him. Um, and he's one of those, look, he's a big time guy. So a lot of times the way guys function in relationships, we're cool with it at the moment. And then we just fall apart later. Whereas it's usually the inverse for women and the way they process. I'd say it has to be about Katy Perry because he's just talked so much. He talked about still feel like your man, how it really weighed on him. So my guess is it's never on the day you leave and how it was a lot worse for him than he thought it was going to be. Good point. Cameron, never on the day you leave. Who's it about? I don't think it's about Katy Perry because I think we see a lot about him talking about how much he was in love with Katy Perry when they were together. And I think this is somebody that he wasn't necessarily infatuated with at the time and didn't necessarily appreciate everything about the relationship until it was gone, which is why I'm going to go with Colby Kaye because I think for her, they weren't necessarily this big firework, hot pink love like you talked about, but it was more subtle and it was more whenever it was over. That's when he thought back to all the great things that were there, but at that point it was too late. With Katy Perry, he knew what he was missing out with when they broke up. So it wasn't as much about this retrospective, oh, now I miss it all. He missed it all right away. It was Colby Kaye that he was like, ah, now I've got to look back at all these things of what was that I didn't appreciate when it was here. Zach, I can have one quick thing. Mm -hmm. I need you to take time Mm -hmm. to realize that that was wrong. (laughs) Both excellent arguments. I do think I'm going to give question number two points to Alex. Mm. Uh, the thematic ties in, in the search for everything, um, I think, are a really good point. Um, and also, I'm pretty sure it's Colby Calais, and you did lose points for that. Fair. Actually, uh, also, to be fair, Katy Perry was also my answer. I know I she was. I did not have the opportunity <laughs> to use that. Okay, Taylor Swift was mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's, here's we're, we're moving forward a little bit. Uh, Cam, this one's to you. Uh, who do you think slow dancing in a burning room is about? Mm. I know I know it's your favorite. Who do you think inspired it? Uh, fun fact, while you consider for a second, Never on the Day You Leave is the one song that John Mayer says he's still unable to perform live because it makes him so emotional. Wow. Come on, Katie. That's got to be Katy Perry. It has to be. I'm going to go Jessica Simpson. Okay. Because I think there is just a natural draw about the relationship and this idea of, of two just huge names. I know he dated a lot of huge names, but I think those are the two that kind of have a similar reputation on both sides. Like, I, I don't think we necessarily look at some of the girls that he dated as being wh- whatever the female equivalent of womanizer is. But with Jessica Simpson, sometimes we do. And so I think it's almost this we're connected and we can't pull apart. So everything around us is is falling and, and crashing and we're fighting all the time, but we can't leave because we're drawn to each other because of our similarities. And I think in that song, he was more in love with the story than he was the person, which I think is very connected to his relationship with Jessica Simpson. Excellent points. Alex, who do you think Slow Dancing in a Burning Room is about? Um, I think Jessica Simpson's just too close. They started dating in 06. The album came out in 06. Um... I'm going to go with just one of the classic huge John Mayer relationships, and I'm going to go back to Jennifer Love Hewitt. It was a big deal, Um, and my guess is that probably a song like this takes a lot of time to reflect on what actually happened. Um, In a breakup, a lot of times it's, well, he said this, she said this, or it's just not right, or he did this, or she did this, and 
it takes a lot of years to get the maturity to say, you know what, we just weren't right for each other and we were dancing around it way too long. Um, I'm glad we finally cut it off. Mm. Some excellent points on both sides. This is, I think this has been the toughest round so far. But upon consideration, I, I, I think the timeline point really helped you. I'm going to give those points to Alex. Yeah. There's going to be another two no, points. The timeline point did me in, and I knew that right away. I didn't look at any timelines. The timeline really did a lot for you. And I was inclined to agree with you about Jessica Simpson until he pointed out that, yeah, 2006 and 2006, that's tough. I think if I would have made Shut that it. argument about literally anybody pre-Jessica Simpson, I would have won. I think you might have. But unfortunately, you picked the one person that Alex had a timeline point to make about. and that, that No, he, he looked it up. I'm sure let's, he did. Let's yeah. not so have you. Get out of here. What have I looked up? I'm not on my phone. You see my hands. Hand check. <laughs> this, this hand check is really good for our audio listeners. Um, I'm really glad they're getting such good content. Okay, final question of round two before we move on to the third and final round of this game. Alex, it's to you first. One of my personal favorites. Who is something like Olivia about? Oh, Jennifer Aniston. You don't want to elaborate I guess I should, at all? I'm going to elaborate. Look, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston is, it has to be about her reason being, um, they've been on and off again a lot. And this was during the Katy Perry saga. I don't think he would have written a song about how um, he's he's swung at, whatever. I'm, I'm losing my points. I apologize. Sorry. Jennifer Aniston was in a very big relationship. I think she was with Brad Pitt at the time. And I think this was post Brad Pitt during the it? Justin Thoreau era, but I'll give it to really? you. Really? It's I think right she was there. married at this point. I think when she's with another man, um, unlike a lot of his other exes at the time, it's easier for him to look and say, wow, I wish I had that. Mm. I wish that guy was me. A good point. A good point. Cam, something like Olivia, who do you think it's about? Um, I'm going to go with Rashida Jones because I think this is a fairly underplayed song in general and I think that can be connected to Rashida Jones' relationship with Mayer. I think she's one that we often forget about. But I, I think... Um, I don't really have much of an argument here. I just want it to be Rashida Jones. I'm going to be completely honest with you. You know, you really, you really were getting close to selling me. I really... So, that Rashida what, Jones was... What I wanted was, to build it off of was she has this quote where she says, uh, John Mayer was her first love and she'll never forget it. Um, but there's really not way, a way for me to turn that around off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I do think there's a really good chance it is Rashida Jones just based on the timeline because she was actually post-Jennifer Aniston. Um, and so I think that timeline works out a little bit better. Um, but yeah. That said, you, you did concede sort of the argument to just really wanting it to be Rashida Jones. So those points, and I actually do really like the Jennifer Aniston argument, regardless that she would have been married at this time. Those points are also going to go to Alex. (laughs) Man, I'm killing it. And now we've arrived at the third and final round. Third round, single, single question. I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to stall for time just a little bit so you can think. I just want to know what is the best John Mayer love song lyric. Okay, you've got... Take some time to think. You've got his entire discography to pull from. There's some... And I'm not looking for 
I'm not looking for, uh, you know, so much angsty sadness. I'm looking for a lyric that is about love. And I'm also not looking for a lyric that comes from a speech he gave on a live album. I'm just going to put that out there right at the so top of it. So it's not bold as love? Like, specifically, <laughs> like, mine. that's not... Alex, you've I've got, got mine. Okay. Uh, Alex, you said it Can first. Can I go first? Yeah, just go ahead. Just in case Dang we have it, the same I, one. I think you took mine. <laughs> All right. It's one of my favorite love songs ever. I think it's one of the most underrated good, uh, John Mayer songs off of Born and Raised. And I'm just going to take... Uh, it's hard to find one line. Um... But, uh, gosh, where is it? I want to make sure I say it right. I'm going to look it up to make sure I get it correct. I appreciate that. Since I'm ready and it's not mine, do you want me to go? Go for it. Yeah, you go ahead, Cam. Mine is, I still keep your shampoo in my shower mm. from Still Feel Like Your Man. Okay. And, and I say this because John Mayer actually says in his interview with Bobby Bones that that is one of his favorite lyrics of all time. And I think what they talk about on there is that no man wants to write that lyric. A lot of other kind of cheesy lyrics John Mayer's written aren't nearly that vulnerable because they're not that simple. But the idea of Still Feel Like Your Man actually came um, from a therapy session where he said, man, I just still feel like your man. And then he went home and that's when this whole idea came about about this song when, when he looked in the shower and this idea of like, I still want you to be mine and I'm not willing to give that part of you up. And so he talks about how he's kind of got sticky hands and he's hard to get away from, but it's all based around this, the most vulnerable lyric he's written, which he has said it is as vulnerable a lyric as he's ever written. And this is on his latest album. So, so this is taking his entire discography into consideration that that is the one lyric that he struggled with because no one wants to admit that they still keep a girl's shampoo in their shower in case they want to wash their hair. It's an excellent argument. Alex, what you got? Yeah, it might be an excellent argument, but it's not what Kuyat asked for. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. The best John Mayer love song lyric, uh, and it's in this first verse. Can I take the first verse, or do I just need to take the half? Uh, I'm just going to take the half. Give me the half. You know my paper heart, the one I fill with pencil marks. I think I might have gone and inked you in. Oof. That is beautiful. It's good. You want to you dig into that a little more? You want to talk so about it a little bit? So here's the thing. He's, he's in this brand new relationship in this song, right? He just says, you know, I can't believe a month is all it's been. And he follows this up with, you know, my paper heart, the one I fill with pencil marks. I might have inked you in. And you took, you look at his whole history, right? We've talked about all his girlfriends, which is probably the one thing about John Mayer that we know the least about is his relationships because we're jealous. And there's this thought that he's this womanizer. And after this album comes, he's really trying to fight that and, and look for the humanity in him. And that's why he went off to Montana. And he was writing this song, most likely about Katy Perry, saying that, look, I've jumped from girl to girl to girl. And I love you and I'm ready to settle down. And I've got all these paper marks in my heart, but I'm writing you it with pen, baby girl, because it's sticking. <laughs> these are both excellent points. Um, I, want, I want you both to know that this is a well-thought final round. Um, I should also point out that this final round is worth three points. Uh, so this is the most significant round uh, out of the three. I do think I'm going to award those three points to Cameron. Um, what? And... You make an excellent point about... You asked for a love song lyric. 
and, and he made an excellent point about how while it is a breakup song, it's the lyric is about love, and the lyric is about the the quality. Just because the girl ain't there doesn't mean the love isn't there. That's right. The quality of being in love, and so at the end of the John Mayer romance extravaganza, or whatever I called it when we started this, the winner by a score of eight to six is Alex Sons. Let's go. Excellent work, Alex. I'm proud that, of you, buddy. Uh, middle round, the the open forum debate round really did help you there. Call me Stephen A. <laughs> and that First is take the John evangelical edition. Extravaganza. Thank you all for playing. We'll be back probably never again with this exact same game. On Lavery with Zachary. Are we really married to that name? Um, we really are. Um, a lot of times we want to end this out with a take-home point, but if I can tweak it just a little bit for this pod, um, I want you – Every single one of these songs, we're going to talk about a gut punch line in a song. When you guys think about Continuum, what is the first lyric or line that sticks with you the most and is meant the most to you? Um, For me, the one that, I don't know if it's been just hitting me lately or if it's just, it it, it just gets to me, is in Stop This Train, um, in the second verse, he says... Don't know how else to say it. Don't want to see my parents go. And like, I'm not worried. My parents aren't elderly, but just that it's such a poignant way to talk about the passage of time and, and what it is to see things move forward outside of your control. Um, that lyric really just resonates with me every time I hear it. Just, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. I just don't want to see my parents grow up. I don't want to see my parents get old. Um, and I also get that, you know, my mom uses reading glasses now, and that's new. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the downturn. <laughs> it's, it's over soon, folks. <laughs> so I think my favorite, and a lot of it is because um, he talks about this in one of my favorite little music videos, mini documentary things that we're going to dive into on In Repair. Um, and he talks about the idea of sad hope when he wrote this. And he writes the lyric, he says, and now I'm walking in the park and all of the dirt birds, they dance below me. And maybe when things turn green again, it will be good to say, you know me. And this idea that, look, um, things are tough right now. And so our relationship is frazzled and there's distance there and I'm ashamed and I've got all this baggage, but I'm just holding out this hope that even though it's bad right now, things are going to turn around and hopefully when things turn around and I'm the guy you need again, that you're going to come back and it's going to be okay for you to say, you know, me. you're going to be able to claim me again. And it's beautiful and so gut wrenching and extremely relatable. Yeah. I think for, for me, um, it's the, the verse on, on slow dancing in a burning room. Don't and say it. Verse, don't say it. I won't <laughs> say it, but I'll, I'll, I'll hint about it. So um, it's where he says, I was the one you always dreamed of. You were the one I tried to draw. How dare you say it's nothing to me. Maybe you're the only light I ever saw. I'll make the most of all the sadness. You'll be, be a, a meanie. You'll be, be a, a meanie, a meanie because, you can. because you can. <laughs> you try to hit me just to hurt me, so you leave me feeling dirty because you can't understand. And um, this is, this is going to be cheesy, but it's that last line. It's the because um, you can't understand. And I, I, I think... You know, for me, a, a big thing in my life is is communication. 
know, it's, yeah. it's my major. I'm getting my master's in it. I've studied it. And I, I think we take a lot of our conflicts down to not understanding each other. Either we didn't communicate it clear enough or, or whatnot. And I, I think this whole song is based around that idea. This all happens because we can't understand each other. And we didn't figure that out soon enough. And I think this doesn't have to be a relationship with a girl or with the guy. It can be our relationship with... It can be a relationship with, with sin and, okay. and the, the toxicity of our temptation. And it can be our relationship with, with toxic friends and whatever it may be. But we find ourselves in this place of just being dragged down and, and we, we feel helpless but not hopeless because we want to cling to what's still there. But it's, it's not really there because they can't understand. And they don't understand how hard you're trying to hold on when they just want to let go. And to me, it's all based on that idea of to one person, it, it, there's still that hope. But to the other, there's not because they refuse to understand. That's really good. Um, and there's your sneak peek into the slow dancing pod, and it's going to be really, really good. And I'm pumped. <laughs> We're going to break down a lot of these songs. We're going to deep dive. Um, we had a f- ton of fun. We're probably going to stop this podcast and then talk about John Mayer for another couple hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good chance. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. We had a ton of fun. Stay tuned for these song recaps. We're going to go crazy. Peace out. Wash your hands. Girl Scout. <laughs>